Let me give you a quick update on the Sterling household. A week ago today at 2.30, Eva Louise Sterling was born. We're calling her Eva. She's named after her great-grandmother, uh, and Susie, uh, the delivery was great. Probably out of our four um, girls, this was the smoothest and the, um, the best, and Susie's doing great, and the baby's doing great, and um, we're not getting much sleep, but uh, that'll come in a few weeks, hopefully. But thank you for your text and calls and different things people visited. Uh, very thankful for that. And if you haven't seen her, uh, you need to come to our house and uh, see her. So I would love for you to do that. Um, like I said, turn to Mark 4. We're going to continue our study. Uh, there's also the outline and the passage printed for you uh, on the handout. It happened while, when I was in seminary. It's a day that I remember vividly. It's a day that I'll never forget. I was in an Old Testament class, and the professor was Dr. Richard Pratt. And at one point during his lecture, he moved his notes aside, uh, his lecture, he put it aside, and he looked out at the class, and he said these words, some of you aren't going to make it. And in my mind, I'm thinking, is he saying that we're going to fail this class, or is he saying we're not going to get, we're going to drop out of seminary? Um, not graduate. Uh, what, what do you mean by that? And he went on to clarify, and he says, I'm not talking about graduating from seminary. I'm talking about the Christian life. And he went on to say that five to ten of you will not actively be pursuing Jesus in the years to come. And you got to remember, we're training for the ministry. We basically have said we're giving our life for the gospel ministry and studying the word, and he's saying that some of us aren't going to make it. <laughs> and so this was dumb. We were dumbfounded. And he knew that some of us didn't really believe him, and so he went out into the hallway, and in our seminary and in lots of seminaries, they take a composite or a picture of the graduating class, and they make it blow it up, and it's real big, and they put it on the walls. They line the walls of the seminary, every graduating class. And so he went out into the hallway, of the right outside the classroom, and he grabbed this big portrait of a graduating class, and he came in, and he set that portrait down, in front of the whole class, and he began to circle faces of men who were no longer walking with Jesus. Some had fallen into sin and never repented. Some had just flat out rejected Christianity and the gospel. And so it was disturbing, to say the least. But the question I have is why? Why is that? That some people, and you probably know them, they appear to follow Jesus for just a little while, but then they slowly drift away. Why is it that some people never seem to have any interest in the gospel at all? Well, those are just a few of the questions that the passage before us tonight addresses. Before we dig in, let me pray for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, we pray that you would come tonight in power. 
Would you come, uh, Holy Spirit, and apply this word to our hearts so that we might not just uh, hear this and it go in one ear and out the other, but we would accept your word. Father, would you reveal clearly the true condition of our hearts? Would you reveal uh, clearly to us tonight which soil we are? Would you give us real faith uh, in Jesus? Thank you for sending uh, Christ. Thank you for coming to rescue us from our sin. Be with us and be present here uh, in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been talking a lot this semester about the kingdom of God. And we've been doing that through our study of the Gospel of Mark. And what we're learning is that the kingdom that Jesus has brought into the world is so much more than personal salvation. It is so much more than simply forgiveness of sin. Jesus came and he brought the kingdom, and the kingdom really does change everything. The kingdom of God is more uh, than just personal salvation. It really transforms everything about us, and it causes us to see the world, to see ourselves, and to see others in an entirely new way. Tonight we're going to continue to talk about the kingdom of God, but tonight the question that we're going to look at is how the kingdom makes its way into our heart. How the kingdom makes its way into our soul. And simply stated, if you look at verse 3, the kingdom comes by listening. Isn't it interesting? The first words out of Jesus' mouth, look at verse 3, is listen. And I don't know about you, but I find that very, a very frustrating thing about the kingdom of God and the, and the kingdom that Jesus uh, is bringing into the world. Because if you're like me, I want Jesus to come by force into my life and into the world. I just want to, to be fixed. And so much of what we want is a quick fix. But Jesus says, no, I want you to listen. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is about hearing. The kingdom of God is not a program. The kingdom of God is organic. And the only program in the kingdom of God is getting yourself under the preaching of the word. You know that one of the most effective evangelism tools is to get your friends under the regular preaching of God's words. That's why it's important to invite them to church where uh, the gospel is preached and the word is preached and Jesus is held high and to invite them to things like RUF where they can come and get under the word. There is nothing more that you can do for the cause of evangelism on this campus than to get people in front of the freight train of the message of this book. There is nothing more that you can do for your own growth in holiness, for your own growth in Christ-likeness, than to get yourself regularly, consistently under the preaching of the Word of God. You see, that's why we do what we do in RUF. 
This is a means of grace to our soul. The reason why I don't get up here and tell you about my week and talk about some book I'm reading and give you a testimony about what's happened this week is because there's something powerful that happens when we open up this book called the Bible and look to see what God might have to say to us tonight. Because you see, the kingdom of God comes by listening and by hearing. Look at verse 2. After telling the crowd to listen, Jesus then tells them a parable. Sinclair Ferguson says that a parable is a story in which we are supposed to, uh, that acts as a mirror that shows us the condition of our own heart. A parable is a story that acts as a mirror to show us the condition of our own soul or our own heart. And there is no, there's not a more vivid picture, not a, a, a more vivid in-your-face parable than the one we're looking at tonight. The parable of the sower. Because you see, this parable teaches us that people hear the gospel and it always comes with a variety of responses. It tells us that there are different kinds of hearing. This parable, more importantly, and you can't, you got to get this, is it tells us that the kingdom of God can be missed. Did you hear that? It's saying that you could actually miss the kingdom of God. It is that subtle. And you have to think about it. You have to think it through. And because it's subtle and you have to think about it, there are people in this room tonight, most likely, that think they're in the kingdom, but they really aren't. I know that's a sobering thought, but a simple reading of the passage tells us as much. And what Jesus is saying, that's why he says, listen, right from the very beginning, he says, are you really listening? Have you really heard me? And the best way to determine if you've really heard Jesus is Jesus says we need to test the soil of our heart. You know, the soil in the parable is the equivalent of the condition of the human heart. I'm a new homeowner. Uh, I owned a home in Birmingham. You'll learn this about me. I'm a big yard guy. I like my yard to look good, you know, and get out and work in the yard. In Birmingham, uh, I had my yard looking great. True Green helped me. Uh, And when I get to Oxford, I had True Green come out, and they did soil testing. They came out, and they looked at our yard, and they uh, dug up some soil, and they looked at all the different kinds of weeds in the yard, And they told us about the health and the fertility of our soil. That is why you test the soil. Well, tonight, that's what Jesus wants us to do. Jesus is saying, this is how you can know if you've really heard me. And that is to do soil testing. To test the soil of your heart and determine what type of soil you are. So that's what we're going to do briefly. Look at the outline there printed before you. We're going to test, first of all, test the soil for a hard heart. Look at verse 15. Jesus explains what he means by the seed being cast along the path. If you look at that verse, he says, Some people are like the seed thrown thrown along the path where the word is sown. 
As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes the word that was sown in them. Here's the picture. The picture is a soil, a dirt uh, path that has been trampled on and lots of people have walked on it and so the soil is packed down really, really hard. And then seed is thrown on that soil and what happens? Because it's packed down so tightly, the seed simply bounces off, doesn't it? And the birds swoop down and they take away the seed before it ever has a chance to get below and underneath the surface and germinate. A seed can't germinate, it can't grow, it can't establish roots until it gets underneath. And here's what it means. It means that it is possible that you could hear the Word and be around this book your whole life and it never get into your heart and into your soul. You see, this soil, these are the folks with whom Christianity is only an intellectual game. It's all about the head knowledge. It's all about knowing their theology and living in their heads. You know, you've heard it said that the greatest distance you'll ever travel is between your head, the 18 inches between your head and your heart. You see, these are the folks with whom God's truth has never really gotten below the surface. It's never really gotten into their heart. Uh, The gospel has never thrilled their soul. So the first test that we have to ask is this question, have you ever come under the personal power of the truth? Have you ever come under the personal power of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Has there ever been a time in your life in which you have heard the gospel preached or the word of God preached and it suddenly dawned on you? It dawned on you and you began for the first time seeing things about yourself that you'd never seen before. Yes, you'd always known it because you grew up with this stuff. You always knew it up here, but for the first time, it has your name on it. For the first time, suddenly you understand that this is talking about me. Has that ever happened to you? Has the gospel thrilled your soul? Has it amazed you? Has the truth, in other words, has it in a sense grabbed you by the throat and kept you up at night? Because it is so beautiful and it is so wonderful. If not, then you are listening to the Word of God with a hard heart. Some of you, maybe all of your life, is the gospel simply an intellectual game to you? You see, if you look at the passage, you see this emphasis on Satan coming and stealing away the seed. And so looking at the passage, there seems to be this emphasis on the distractions of life and the busyness of life. In other words, our hearts become hardened because of the busyness and the distractions of life, because we are so busy and so distracted that we never take time to seriously contemplate spiritual things and to think about them. Instead, distractions come in and we quickly move on to other things. 
C.S. Lewis really sums up and lets us know how that happens in his book, The Screwtape Letters. In the book, The Screwtape Letters, Lewis depicts Uncle Screwtape as distracting one of his subjects. And in the scene, Uncle Screwtape is distracting this man who has went, gone into this British museum and he's sitting on a bench and he's simply reading a book. And as this man is reading a book, his mind begins to drift off and he begins to contemplate spiritual things. And then Uncle Screwtape comes and reminds the man that he is hungry. Listen to what Lewis says in describing this scene. Once he was in the street, the battle was won. I showed him a newsboy shouting the midday paper and the number 73 bus going past, and before he reached the bottom of the stairs, I got him into an unalterable conviction that whatever odd ideas might come to a man's mind when he is shut up alone in his books is, an un, is, is a healthy dose of real life was enough to show him that this sort of thing couldn't possibly be true. You know, I wonder how many of us will have the exact same thing happen tonight when we walk out of the doors of this building. Are you listening? Or is Satan coming and stealing away the seed that is being sown? The first test is we need to test the soil of our heart for a hard heart. Secondly, test the soil for a shallow heart. Look at verses 16 and 17. These are the ones that are sown on the rocky ground, it says. The ones who hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root. And so they only endure for a little while, but when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, they immediately fall away. See, this soil represents the person that has only an emotional or an external response to the gospel. They hear the word, they receive it with joy, they uh, spring up very quickly. They have a passion for Jesus, they're following hard after him, and their life begins to change, but they're on shallow ground because there really are no roots. And so the sun comes and it scorches them, and the first sign of trouble and suffering in their life they turn their back on Jesus and they're out the door. Why? Well, because it was only an emotional response to the gospel. They never really understood. These are the people that want the kingdom of God on their terms. See, they come to Jesus' kingdom and they think and they thought they were entering Jesus' kingdom, but they were simply trying to get Jesus to enter their kingdom. They just want to be blessed. They just want all the good parts of the Christian life and all the comfortable parts of the Christian life. To them, life is all about their personal happiness. To them, the Christian life and living for Jesus is all about their happiness. You know, it's in, it is vitally important that you understand something tonight. 
that you can be following hard after Jesus and involved in all sorts of religious activity and never have truly repented of your idolatry. For example, imagine a girl who is a freshman at Old Miss and imagine she comes and she spends most of her freshman year in a drunken stupor because she simply just wants to have friends and wants people to like her and accept her. Her friend comes and says, uh, let me tell you about Jesus. And her friend tells her about Jesus and how Jesus has come into her life and cleaned her life up. And so this girl says, I'm in. She drops out of her sorority and she starts to live for Jesus, gets involved in all these religious activities, starts to... um, go on all these Christian retreats with her friends and uh, conferences and that sort of thing. Don't you, don't you see how it is entirely possible that Christianity for her was simply a new means to her real end? Christianity was simply a new means to her real end, which was what? To have friends. You see, her friends wanted her to be irreligious, and so she was. Her friends suddenly wanted her to be religious, so she is. What is her real God? Her real God is still her friends. She is using Jesus and using Christianity for what? For friends. She didn't come to Jesus because she was a sinner desperately needing to be rescued, but in order for Jesus to help her have friends. And what Jesus is saying here is that there is no better way to uncover that type of heart and that type of soil than personal suffering. Because when trials come along, this person finds that this way of serving their idol is no longer doing it for them. And so they're out with Jesus and in with something new. You see, Jesus says, listen, think about this now. Think about this before the trials come, before the storms come. Jesus wants to know, are you in this for me or are you in this for you? You see, sooner or later, you will be outed by reality. Sooner or later, the true condition of your heart will be outed by the reality of this world. And the question is, when you are outed by reality, what is going to be revealed? A heart that is shallow or a heart that is on good soil? Test the soil for a hard heart. Test it for a shallow heart. And thirdly and finally, test the soil for a divided heart. Look at verses 18 and 19. These are the ones that were sown among the thorns. They hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches enter and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. Here's the scary part. The first two soils, no-brainer, okay? It's obvious to see that they're not Christians. 
Okay, but this one is a little more tricky. It's harder to tell with this soil. Why? Well, because they have roots. They actually stay in. But the thorns come up and they choke out the fruit. The second soil, it's full of plants that are completely overtaken by the world. But these people are committed to Christ, but Jesus just shares control with other things. There is division in their hearts. Some of you are committed to Jesus, but there are other things that are competing for your affections and the affections of your heart. Some of you are committed to Jesus, but you still are unwilling to give Him control of every single area of your life. For example, some of you are committed but you're still using your sexuality in a way that you know is wrong. Some of you are committed, but you're still consumed with being a millionaire by the time you're 30. You're consumed with money and possessions and materialism. Some of you are committed, but you're still consumed with building your image. You're still consumed in, uh, with building your image and making a name for yourself. And that is image idolatry, and it reveals itself in so many different ways. Image idolatry could reveal itself by uh, working hard to maintain a certain grade point average, to maintain a certain image. It could reveal itself by uh, trying to run with a certain crowd and to be in with certain people so that you'll have the right image. It can reveal itself in religious activity. You want to appear to be good, and so you're involved in all kinds of religious things on campus. And don't get me wrong, none of those are bad in and of themselves. You need community. You should strive to make good grades, but the question is, who are you doing those things for? And most of the time when we start asking ourselves those hard questions, it's revealed that it's really about us. And the truth is, is that is the reason why so many of you are so unhappy. It's because you're trapped. You're being choked by the thorns of the world. Because here's the hard thing about this third soil, is you know too much. The other two soils, they don't care. They're not miserable. They're having a great time. You are the only one that is miserable in this third soil. Why? Because you see zero fruit in your life. Because the cares of the world are choking out the word. You see, this third soil needs to do some weeding. Who likes weeding their yard? I hate that more than anything. Why? Because it's hard work. And so some of us need to do the hard work of weeding. What does that mean? Well, it means that you might need to get alone and examine your heart and share with a friend what you find. Better yet, you might need to get a friend that you know that loves you and you might need to sit across the table from them and you might need to say, Help me see what I can't see. What do people say about me when I'm not around? 
You see, that will reveal who you really are. Some of you might need to repent over the division that exists in your heart. Some of you might need to, the weeding might mean that you need to say no to something or give up something for Jesus. But the bottom line is Jesus says that you cannot serve two masters. He says that you'll either hate one or, and you'll love the other. But you can't serve both. There was a man who went for a job interview. He was looking at the classifieds. And he noticed there was a job opening for a radio ship operator. And it was for uh, these ships, uh, these huge barges that needed someone that had experience in Morse code and other shipping languages and terminologies. This man had that type of experience, and so he went in for this job interview. And when he walked into the room, he said it was packed. Tons of people waiting to be interviewed for this position. The man walks in and he says There's, there was this loud um, static coming over the loudspeakers. So loud that everyone else in the room was talking loudly so that they could converse back and forth with one another. This man filled out the necessary paperwork and job application. And then after he finished, he went over and he sat quietly in an empty chair. And he decided not to engage in the conversation. He sat there quietly and then suddenly he gets up and he walks through a door that says private. A few minutes later, the man walks out of the door that says private and he is grinning from ear to ear. And then out walks behind him, the secretary, and says, Gentlemen, you can all go home. I've just hired this man for the position and a hand goes up and says, what? wait a minute. We've been here all day waiting to be interviewed. We need to at least get interviewed for this position. What's so special about this guy? And the secretary replied, well, the whole day we have been pounding Morse code through the loudspeaker. <laughs> <laughs> we have been pounding Morse code through the loudspeaker. And it said, if you want this position, walk through the door that is labeled private, and the job is yours. And this man, he said, was the only one that was listening. And so my question for you tonight is, are you listening are you listening to Jesus? You know, I realize that some of you are probably ticked off about what this passage reveals about your heart. And some of you are wondering what in the world you need to do to make it right. This passage tells us exactly what we need to do. It tells us that we need to listen. Maybe it's time that we need maybe it's time we start listening and start and stop wondering how our spiritual life is somehow magically going to take care of itself. Let's pray.